0: Welcome to Sport Faith Life with Brian Bolt and Chad Carlson, two guys who came together for one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. They are sports scholars, they're coaches, and they're competitive athletes, or at least they were. And together, they've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Welcome to Sport Faith Life. I'm Brian Bolt here with my partner Chad Carlson and we are excited to take another bite of the fruits of the spirit (laughs) as we investigate how they intersect with sport. Um, We do the fruits of the spirit and we've done the seven deadly sins. We're getting quite a way through the list. Um, We're not taking them in any particular order, but today's fruit of the spirit has a lot of low-hanging fruit for us to sort of sink our teeth into uh that's enough uh, that's I, two that, puns, that's already. Enough I, puns
1: i see what you're doing i All like right. it yeah two
0: to three at least yeah to start every podcast uh self-control so self-control is listed last which i'll actually come back to i think when we uh get to uh maybe a later section of this podcast but self-control is listed uh among the nine other fruits of the Spirit, and it seems to stand out in some way, right? All the others are at least one word, and this one uh, actually seems a little different, and hopefully we can come back to that a little bit. But self-control, I think, Chad, uh, is sort of an easy connection right from the start. We have what I would call a human understanding of self-control. In other words, um, we all can can immediately connect to what that might mean. Uh, And I think we think about, at least I do, I think about avoiding excessiveness, avoiding maybe addiction, um, taming the tongue. These are some of the things we think about when the word self-control comes up. And it's interesting that the Bible uses um, athletics, to really think about possibly this idea of self-control in another way. So uh, when St. Paul talks about players in the games, he talks about playing to win a prize. And he says there's a way that they get to this prize, and that method is through self-discipline. And when I think of self-discipline, I think of this idea of self-control. So I think we have an an automatic or an immediate tie-in here to the world of sport. And it's pretty tangible. Um, it, it sort of brings us to this place where we are either h- hyper-focused on one thing uh, to the exclusion of other things. That could be a method of self-control. That's uh, uh, A self-control might uh, get us to think about how to uh, block out distraction and find a way to uh, bring... Um, bring ourselves to do stuff that we wouldn't normally want to do. So it could be a draw to a workout, a draw to uh, an intensity. It could be um, really a focus on uh, excluding other parts of your life, maybe social parts of your life, maybe excluding, um, you know, some, some athletes will say I'm, I'm going to eat a certain way that involves certain self-control I'm going to avoid alcohol that involves self-control. So we think about all these things that are related to either moving towards something or staying away from something, both involving self-control. And I think that's probably our most immediate connection. I'm actually more interested in another version of self-control, but let's start there. Tell me what you think about when you think sport and self-control.
1: Well, I, I, like you, I think it's intuitive. I think it's obvious. We understand this from even a young age, right? Think about the ways in which we um, help to help the behaviors of, of young children. And we talk about being under control or it seems like you're getting out of control here. You know, it's a situation we need to take step away, take some deep breaths. And so abstaining from something is what you're talking about, I suppose. And then once you get older, we we step into habits that help us you know, identify the ways in which our behaviors are controlled or not. So I, I, I see that obviously like you do. And I think in the world of sport, self-control is an obvious one because of the ways in which um, an athlete trains through uh, habitual, repeated behaviors, right? Developing skills, uh, developing rhythms, doing things so that your body is primed and prepared for the times when you need to perform and perform at your best. And so I think there's an obvious measure there so much in the world of sport i think has taken the the reins away from the athlete from from even a young age but at every level uh, where so often the athlete is surrounded by a posse of of trainers scientists coaches um onlookers whoever else that that will help the athlete to help to control the athlete i would say and so i'm not sure that self control is actually the thing that's there with athletes at the top level, I think it's a matter of the, of you know be, sort of being controlled um, by others who have your best interest in mind, at least athletically. So there's there's something about that that maybe we can explore if you want. But I, I think as root, I'm not sure I like the the word self control or the, the you know the phrase whatever you want to call it. I think maybe it's something having to do with the reform theology that I that I believe in. Um, I'm not sure it's the right phrase either. I think it's something that that fits. Yeah, at least in our modern lexicon. So we know what it means at root, but I, I don't, I'm not sure that what we're after is sort of training ourselves to be able to control ourselves. It's something about discipline and it's something about, um, you know, submission to God's will. I'm not sure that I would call it self-control as the thing that like we are human, like what, what you're getting at when you're saying we understand this from a human perspective. I, I agree with that. And and yet I think there's something um, that's important about us sort of submitting to the will of the spirit that would show Uh, control, whether that's led by the self or or others, you know, is is maybe uh, theological in a way that that we don't need to get into today. So that's kind of where my mind goes with self-control.
0: Yeah, I I heard a few things in that answer. And I really love how you ended there when you talked about this being uncomfortable. Maybe the word just doesn't strike us as appropriate. uh, And neither of us are Greek scholars, but I'm not sure that the phrase self-control actually makes its way to the To the Greek understanding of what was meant there. And it'll be fun to sort of dig into that. I I did want to roll back a little bit, and you talked about, you unearthed a couple of thoughts for me. First, uh, we often think about self control in reference, and I don't think I mentioned this off the start, to motion, right? We think about the fury that may happen in sport, the temper potentially that may happen in sport, and the idea of somehow channeling or bringing those. Uh, those emotions, which could end up being positive, keeping them from being negative. So that's one thing I would just wanted to acknowledge. The second thing I think, um, when you, when I push that a little further, you talked about control being in somebody else's hands and maybe that being a product of modern sport. And we've talked a lot about just the difference between play and sport or what we would call unorganized play. Versus organized sport and both of them involve sport like activities so you can take a bunch of kids boys and girls put them in a vacant lot uh, an open space give them a ball or or not give them just an opportunity and games will be created right? Sometimes they really mirror what we, what we know. So it, it could be, you know, throw a few nets up and let's play soccer, uh, grab a stick and put some bases out and we're playing baseball, right? Those are things that um, happen. But I love how those games get modified to meet the moment. And those are done by the players themselves, right? So those adjustments are controlled by the participants, instead of having external control or adult control, which is often the case in uh, youth-organized sport. So I love the idea of um, kind of unpacking this idea of control within sport and seeing where that locus of control is. Who's making those decisions? And it's really interesting. We get to a place of actually more argument more emotional tantrum, all of those sorts of things are going to show up more in the self-created play, in the player-created play. But those are wonderful places for uh, kids, particularly, to learn to solve those problems. Whereas we almost eliminate that when we do adult sport, right? A kid starts throwing a tantrum and it's over, right? We uh, We take care of that in no time because adults are in charge and we have rules and regulations to take care of that. Uh, so that was one thing I just didn't want to, uh, overlook this idea that control can be thought of in multiple ways, much like the word self can be thought of in multiple ways.
1: Yeah. I don't want to sound like an old codger, um, sort of harkening <laughs> back to the good old days. And I'm not sure that's what we're doing. I think we're identifying that, that things are maybe different, that things are evolving in the world of sport. And what we're seeing today is at least what I'm seeing today is, um, is the absence of, or, or the, a lessening of, of player-led control of one's life, I think. And what I mean by that is I think we're seeing at younger ages, and I'm, I'm guilty of, of this as well, if, if guilty is the right word. Again, I'm not making a value judgment here, but I think kids are, in the attempt, whether it's parents' fantasies or the kids' dreams, the attempt to develop um, star young athletes you know, more and more is heaped on to the player to control the the athlete at a younger age. And so seeing things like a fourth or fifth grader, having a personal trainer accompany that person to their basketball game and doing an entire body warmup with them, a workout, stretching them much like you would see at the division one football level. Like when I go to Penn State games and I see a hundred players on the field, all sort of getting stretched by graduate assistants and strength and training, strength and conditioning coaches. You know, you have people that are stre- that are stretching you out in order to get you ready because they know exactly what to do because they're the experts. When we see that happening at a fourth grade level, you know, I think there's some there's some differences there in terms of how how one attaches identity to to sport and how one sees you know, how we see moral development in sport. I'm thinking of last year's Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams, who in his Heisman Trophy acceptance speech acknowledge the fact that he had been doing 5:30 a.m. workouts every day since he was 10 years old. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that that wasn't driven totally by him. Right. And so we're thinking about the control of athletes by by adults and there's some very there's some positives to that. I think what we're seeing is, you know, younger athletes getting to higher levels quicker, you know, because of that type of training. What are we losing? Yeah, there's, there's also something we're losing. You talk about the sandlot mentality where we understand how to solve problems among peers. We understand how leadership works. We understand how emotional fury uh, you know, uh, works out and doesn't work out in a group of peers. And we don't get that when it's all adult-led, but we also could theoretically have less emotional outbursts. Unfortunately, um, everybody listening to this is probably saying, but actually we have maybe more adult emotional outbursts yeah uh, among that's youth point. sports when it's adult led and that that's that's possible too, you know who's controlling the adult so I, I I like that you that you wanted to pursue that line of thinking because I think it's pretty rich there um, and the other thing has to do with sort of emotions in general, and I, I appreciate you identifying that as well. What we see now, you know when I watch sports now is um and I'm not sure again whether this is a good or a bad thing, but you see an athlete um Successfully complete a play or an event or whatever else in sport, and immediately they'll show positive raw emotion. Or we see negative raw emotion. We see both of these things. This, I would say, enhances the entertainment value. It's a joy to see athletes, you know, uh, generally enjoying what they're doing, celebrating for themselves, even if it comes across as a little bit self-serving. We see that that happens after every play in in televised football that you could watch. After every play, whoever makes the play celebrates with an emotional expression. And that trickles down as well. And I've been watching a lot of high school basketball lately. And every time anybody hits a three-pointer, there's some guns up or a player has some sort of celebration that they do. And so this is an act of sort of emotional expression. And I think it's something that we have allowed to happen and in some cases even encouraged to happen. Does this mean that there's an absence of self-control? I don't think so. I think actually the there, there's some cultural things, at least what I'm surrounded with right now in the sports that I'm closest to, there's some cultural norms in which expression of emotion is, um, is encouraged.
0: Yeah, that's interesting that we have um, an environment where – and maybe this has always been the case. First, I want to say that I know that unorganized or uh, student-led or child-led play still happens, right? Sure. It happens in homes. It happens in backyards. It happens in vacant lots. It happens – and so it isn't gone. Um, we do see a lot more organized sport, and that's uh, quantifiable. We can take a look at just the number of opportunities that are out there for certain populations to participate in sport. But what you've identified here is a little bit of a, um, a question about where raw emotion ends and where theater begins. Hmm. The idea that um, I know I'm being watched and both of those things are in contrast as well. Sport, obviously, way back, way back to the ancient Olympics, uh, there were fans, right? There were people that came and uh, spectators have, have often been a part of organized sport. Uh, they're less and less, uh, they're less a part of uh, unorganized sport, right? Where you don't have uh, nearly as many onlookers, you might not have nearly as many um, Outbursts or shows of emotion or extended uh, displays of emotion that we might see in in, in uh, you know something on television or something with a lot of physical spectators. So I think um, it is interesting what we consider to be excessive, what we consider to be control or self-control in sport, and you know I, I think when we get back to that word of self, um, that might be giving us a bit of a clue as to what's happening in sport and how that might not map directly onto what Paul is talking about in The Fruits of the Spirit. So this idea of self-control, it strikes me that it's also self-development. In other words, when you're engaged in sport self-control, the person rewarded is generally you. Whether that's uh, moving into a place where you're controlling your emotions better in a game-time circumstance or you're controlling your practice in such a way that you're disciplined and you are uh, getting up at, at 5 a.m. as a 10-year-old. You're, you're bringing that level of control to your practice. In both cases, the recipient of success is yourself. The person who is honored and awarded is pretty self Uh, indulgent? Um, maybe, right? And I can't imagine that that's exactly where Paul was going when he talked about the fruits of the Spirit. First of all, I I like this phrase where we talk about, um, the fruits of the Spirit being the fruits of the Spirit. In other words, it's possible, and this is your Reformed theology coming out, that uh, we're not capable of self-control. We need the Spirit, to guide us in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, patience, and whatever is represented in self-control. And I think maybe the key is the directedness of that uh, that fruit. In other words, when we think about ourselves, uh, we may get frustrated in our inability to, c- to control ourselves, or we may benefit in our ability to control ourselves. But if we think about patience and love and kindness, they really have more to do with the other. They have to do with our relationship to God and our relationship to one another. And so it feels to me like we have to find a way to talk about self-control as it relates to another to really understand what Paul is getting at in this conversation. What do you think?
1: I think to another person, I also think to the other fruits i think that's what you're getting at as well mm. that's that self control is listed last and maybe this is what you were alluding to earlier right right at the beginning self control is listed last because it's 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 the the ability to um to express the other the other fruits of the spirit and those other fruits of the spirit seem to be things uh moral characteristics that would that would benefit others that are in our presence and and that wouldn't be to our disadvantage by any means in fact to our advantage but that seems to be the case, Brian. I'm wondering your thoughts o- about this. Is self-control something that the more we do it, the more we are capable of doing it? That is, it's like developing a skill, or is it like you know muscle strength, where um, the more you use of it, then you know eventually the returns are are lessened until you have a rest period, and then and then you can I- express or display it again.
0: Hmm. Well, I think uh, life is about, uh, in many ways, practices. And what we practice is what we um, become, right? The things that we value are the things that uh, uh, we look more like after a period of time. And so I I would think of it in some ways like a muscle, uh, where uh, if we practice self-control, we're able to do that better the next time and better the next time, or we... um, you know, apply some level of discipline to, um, to an experience. And then the next time we experience that same thing, uh, we have something to draw on, we have something that becomes more of a natural response. Uh, That would make some sense to me. At the same time, it is always interesting. And we point this out all the time, I think, when we think of athletes, a a person can show an incredible amount of self-control in a certain sphere or area of life. And then It doesn't show up in another one. We know of athletes who might get up at at 5 a.m. and work out and and really focus uh, in a season of life. And then outside of that season, maybe it goes away. But also, uh, they may not uh, be able to apply that same level of discipline to an addictive behavior, um, some other vice that um, you would think they would have learned something. So I think the carryover effect of self-control as we think about it is often overplayed, particularly in sport. So we see things where uh, an athlete, just because of a certain passion, shows a lot of uh, ability to bring their full selves to the moment. And then the very next moment, they're maybe in a classroom and they can't bring that same level of, of focus. And so... The carryover effect from sport to other areas of life, or what we call a sport virtue, would not necessarily be a part of a life virtue or easily applied in another circumstance. And we see this all the time with people getting in trouble as well, right? They show great discipline in one area of life and then um, kind of lose it in another area of life. So I I don't know if that fully answers your question, but I think it, um, to me... Both of those questions are important to me. Do we develop in this? I think the answer would be yes. Is it transferable? I think that nexus is always a
1: challenge. I guess you wonder if if we ask so much of athletes in a moral sphere in sport, would that mean that they would have less left over outside the world of sport? And it seems to me that that's probably not the case even though that might be a a bit of a way to get athletes off the hook for, let's say, bad behavior off the field or, you know, problematic actions. And so I I think that that's sort of, you know, what I'm getting at here is how do we understand self-control in our own lives? And and I, I like how you've nuanced the answer. Because it seems like there are certain things, certain ways that we are, certain things that we we have, have whether they've been developed over time and habits, you know, like 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 moral value, moral virtues, um, or 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 skills or abilities, or the things that are just part of our natural comportment. That um, we see some of these things where we can identify athletes and why they're good. That's just the way they are, sort of as people, right? Michael Jordan was just a competitive person. And people talked about that in anything. He wanted to beat you in anything. So there's something about him as a person. So there was carryover between, um, you know, what he did on the court and what he did off the court. And I I also think that we can come up with examples of athletes who were incredibly um, uh, gifted with or, or, or had spent a lot of time developing particular talents on the court that made them one way. And yet they were very different off the the quarter off the field. Uh, there are uh, you know countless football coaches that will say I want my players to be uh, grizzly bears on the field and huggy bears off the field. <laughs> right? And and, and some people can exemplify that, right? Where they step on the on the field and and show, you know, um, um, reckless abandon towards a particular goal and yet have also controlled themselves in such a way that they have trained and disciplined themselves to to do this and yet they're very different off Off the field and I wonder how much self-control plays into that as well
0: Yeah, I think you're tapping into this uh, very similar thing and when we start thinking about who we are in sport and then who we are in life and uh, The sort of the goal is to to have a consistency with that, you know, we often think about, you know I'm still representing myself as I step inside the lines, whatever that sport is at the same time we also have talked about play being in sort of its own space, meaning that uh, when we step into uh, an athlete role, it is really a role. It is um, not exactly the same as how I go to work or how I go to school. And because of that, because I'm asked to do play a particular role, that uh, may deviate then from some of my n- sort of natural inclinations, personality, and so on. And I think that's where we see these differences, the the grizzly bear versus the huggy bear, where people step into a role, they they engage in that role-related behavior, and then they step back out and act more like themselves in that environment. I do think uh, when we think about self-control, I keep coming back to this idea that if we want to apply it to sport, it's ironic, but... For us to, to experience the fruit of the spirit aspect of self-control, we would want people to really think about themselves less, to uh, address, okay, what, what am I contributing to others? What am I contributing to the team? What am I contributing to the game? What am I contributing to the moment? And I think in that way, the fruit is borne out. The idea that... If you are self-obsessed or self-focused, it would be very difficult, I think, to um, to show that level of benefit. And so I often think, you know, this this is one of the challenges for us in sport because, as a coach, I am constantly drawing my athlete's attention to them, right? I am I am getting them to focus on themselves and their own development. And I'm recognizing wow i am I am putting a lot of emphasis on that, and is that working against maybe some of my larger goals
1: as a coach for me too, I've been struck by that recently, and again, I'm coaching a a, a lot younger athlete than you are, but I've really tried to emphasize over the last couple of seasons the fact that being a great teammate is Is among the best things that we can do. I know that athletes are are driven by, and I know what they're hearing at home, and I know that what they're doing is working on their own development, their own skill development, their own ability to be better at the particular sports skills. They're doing that. They're, They're intrinsically naturally, athletes are naturally motivated to doing that. What I need to try to do is get them to walk alongside that personal development with sort of the development as it relates to um, themselves as teammates, and so we've talked a lot about with my team sort of four things that I want them to do that would be sort of um, others focused. And and in that sense, I think we're trying to develop some self control that it's it's not about me, it's about others. And here's how I can sort of define my actions as being controlled and as and as being towards others. Have I left it all on the field or on, on the court? That is, have I tried my hardest? That's an important thing. If I'm not trying my hardest, I'm doing a disservice to, to those around me. Is my attitude good and consistent in what it should be? That is, am I, am I thinking positively? Am I able to get through tough moments? My attitude, are my shoulders slumped? We're trying to avoid that. Am I hanging my head, trying to avoid that? Do I slump? Do I walk slowly off the court when I'm, when I'm taken out of the game? Those types of things. Okay. So that's the second one. The third one is, uh, am I encouraging my teammates and that's that's a a big one right for kids to think about that especially in sports where it's zero sum like if i pl- don't play well that means or if 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 we're scoring x amount of points and i only score this minute it means others are scoring that many more points or so, you know things like that where but are we con- encouraging others because that's a good thing for us to do because it shows that we can control our own emotions and it shows that we care about others and them doing well and the the fourth one that we talk about is, is similar to that, but it really has to do with um, the way in which you comport yourself as well. So yeah, I want to be encouraging others, but am I congratulating uh, people on stuff that they've done well also? Because that's what it means to be a part of a team is that you're happy about what the team does. And so I can imagine Brian coach, uh, golf coach, Brian Bolt, that you're dealing with players who have mixed emotions after certain events, right? maybe the team did well, but a player didn't meet that player's individual expectations. And so we're dealing with multiple emotions, and we certainly want the one that's front and center to be, uh, at least the one that's displayed, is the one towards others. That I can control my own emotions enough that I can be happy for the team that we did well, even in in the face of my own disappointment.
0: Yeah, you've definitely identified it. I think it's not unique to golf, but it is... um clear in golf i mean you can go out and play and not see your teammates for four hours and you come back and you realize hey i just i just had the best score on the board there are 55 uh young men here playing golf and i have the best score but my uh, teammates had a bad day and our team ended up fifth or sixth or eighth and so even though i finished at the top our team did not finish at the top and so that um reality is pretty normal in golf and it can re- work in the reverse fashion as well. The team finished really well, but I played terrible and actually my, my score was thrown out. And, uh, and so you're always having these sort of competing emotions. What I liked about your list, um, is that if I just push it one step further, I can actually see where it's going to require some self-sacrifice. Um, uh, It is really not about the self. If I follow yours to the very end, if I put everything on the field when I'm playing or when I'm coaching, or sorry, when I'm uh, participating, it's possible I I can't play at the end, right? Um, When I uh, bring a certain attitude, it's possible that um, people won't see me as uh, intense enough. And that could be a certain sacrifice, right? Right. Uh, we've all, always talked about in sport, what is, the, what is the reward in sport? And the higher you go up, it is being on the field. I mean, in, in many ways, the, the reward in sport is the opportunity to continue playing sport. And so what you've done with your suggestions is put on the table the possibility that somebody else gets to take your role. Somebody else gets to take your spot, particularly as you actually encourage and congratulate your teammates, you're actually putting that possibility out there that they're going to shine and you won't. And to me, that element of sacrifice, uh, of it not being all aligned with my own development, like my own development might actually atrophy if I follow through on this kind of control. Uh, I think that that's... uh, that's what's built into fruits of the spirit. If it were all uh, ending up positive for ourselves, it wouldn't actually be that noble, it wouldn't actually be that virtuous. So, in the long run, I love your list. I think uh, what we want to do is try to push that. And this has been a great conversation. So, I really appreciate you kind of making me think about it in new and different ways. And I think. Uh, like all the other Fruits of the Spirit, this one has um, really gotten us to think in different ways about the sporting environment. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the Sport Faith Life podcast, a conversation at the intersection of sport and faith. Read the corresponding blog post and learn more about us at sportfaithlife.com. Listen to more of our podcasts on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with everything sport, faith, life.